Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, whichever time zone you're listening in. It's Friday or Saturday, November the 19th, 2022, and we are your hosts, Jason Scott and David Reagan. Hey, tonight we've got a great guest lined up uh, for you, Dr. Richard Gallagher. Uh, We're going to be talking about his book, Some Demonic Foes. That's right. Hey, if you're looking to find us, you can do that on paranormal411.org. You can also find us on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Join us. Join us. So, um, how you doing, David? I'm doing good, Jason. How you doing? Pretty good. It's an awesome day. Awesome. Beautiful outside. Beautiful. Glad we woke up. I am. Absolutely. Always makes for a good day. Yeah. <laughs> So before we uh, get into the show, we're going to do a little This Day in History with David Reagan. All right. Thank you, Jason. So today is November 19th, 2022. Just like Jason said just a minute ago. And on this day in 1975, the dramatic film One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest was released in American theaters. And it became the first film since it happened one night in 1934 to win the Academy Awards for Best Picture, Director, Lead Actor, Lead Actress, and Screenplay. What do you think about that, Jason? Also on this day in 1990, the pop duo Millie Vanilli became the first performers to be stripped of a Grammy Award after it was revealed that the two men had not sung on the album girl you know it's true in 1989 oh i remember that (laughs) i do too uh that's that was and those are just a couple of things that happened today in history jason (laughs) millie vanilli Vanilli. this day in 1990 can you believe it (laughs) how long ago was that (laughs) oh it's been a while (laughs) oh sherry says she can't wait to talk Oh, um, we well. do have the call in line opened up, everybody. It is 978 547 7575. I will say that again 978 547 7575. And uh, we also posted them up in the chat rooms so everybody can see them there, too. So, oh, yeah, we are live on Spreaker, Podbean, and 
projectdarkcorona.org in the live show and chat area. So come on and uh, join us. Yeah, join us. Ask some questions. This is going to be a very awesome show with Dr. Gallagher. I've been waiting for this. This is awesome. uh, Before we bring Dr. Gallagher on, though, we have to take a quick little break to uh, get our sponsors in. Um, What do you think, David? I'm ready. All right. We'll be back right after these messages. All right. Every day we rise challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers.
It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today. To, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Our upcoming shows are on the guest and events page. You can also listen to past shows on the website as well. And if you like the show and want to support us, you can do that by becoming a premium member for only $2 a month. Thanks for listening to Paranormal 411. Join us. Hey, this is Eddie from Legends and Lore Pizzeria in Madisonville, Tennessee. Cool little pizza shop with a paranormal encrypted theme. Just voted best pizza in Monroe County. Follow us on Facebook at Legends and Lore Pizzeria to get the latest updates and hours, specials, and new menu items. This is Jeff Reagan of the band Catalyst. Visit Paranormal 411. Click on our link on the right-hand side to listen to or purchase any of our albums on BandLab. In a world on the edge of oblivion, go to paranormal411.org for all of your paranormal, extraterrestrial, encrypted needs. Hey, this is Eddie from Legends and Lore Pizzeria, and I listen to Paranormal 411. Love y'all and keep it squatchy. Jeff Reagan and the band Catalyst for allowing us to use their music. Oh, yeah. As always. As always, Jeff Reagan, thank you. 
So tonight we have Dr. Richard Gallagher. He's the author of Demonic Foes, his book about his 25 years of experience. Um, also, he's an MD, a board-certified psychiatrist, and a professor of psychiatry at New York Medical, and also a psychoanalysis on the fact excuse me, on the faculty of Columbia University. He graduated from Princeton University, Phi Beta Kappa in classics. And he also trained as a resident in psychiatry at Yale University of Medicine. He is the world's foremost scientific expert on the subject of diabolic attacks and has been an active member of the International Association of Exorcists since the 1990s. And he lives in his, in Westchester, New York. So we're going to bring Dr. Gallagher on. Hey, doctor. Hey, good evening, guys. Good evening. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing fine. I thank you for the question. <laughs> so how'd I do on your bio? Is that, I know it's probably not enough, but, you know, I tried to make it. Well, you know, you're underscoring, uh, and thank you for the introduction, you're underscoring that I'm a pretty mainstream psychiatrist. In other words, uh, I actually teach the young doctors at three different institutions. Uh, I teach uh, psychotherapy. I teach psychopharmacology. So I'm I'm certainly a standard uh, psychiatrist. So... uh, People ask me how I got into this field, and I always say, well, I didn't exactly volunteer. <laughs> uh, and I'm not sure it's a good idea to volunteer, by the way. Yeah. But it, uh, what happened is a uh, priest came to my office when I was at uh, a beautiful campus up here in Westchester of Cornell Medical College at the time. And um, this kind of rumpled-looking priest came to my office and said he wanted to he wanted to ask if I'd evaluate a case for him that he thought was probably demonic. Uh, again, not a possession; it was an oppression. And there are there are these different categories. And I said to him, "Well, Father, with all due respect, uh, I'm a little skeptical of that sort of thing." And I was surprised when he said to me, "Well, then you're the perfect man for the job." Um, he wanted a skeptical person. I had, uh, been trained uh, a little while earlier at Yale, as you mentioned. And, um, I was very aware at the time that there was something called the satanic panic. There was, there were all these people claiming that there was Satan, Satanist all over the place. Mm-hmm. Uh, does that remind you of anything in the news? Yes. And, um, what um, what people were alleging is that uh, Satanists one year, I remember reading this when I was a resident, had kidnapped 50,000 people. Well, wow. look, if you look at if you look at the cold facts, 50,000 kids. If if you look at the facts, first of all, 50,000 kids hadn't disappeared. And it was much lower. And most of those kids were proven to be runaways. So I always start off when I uh, talk about this field 
of saying, you don't want to see the devil everywhere. A uh, very famous Christian writer, C.S. Lewis, uh, used to say, there are two major errors. One is to see the devil everywhere and blame the devil for everything. You know, the old Flip Wilson, the devil made me do it, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> the other error is to discount that um, uh, evil spirits do exist. And uh, I'm absolutely convinced that evil spirits do exist. I've just seen, by this point in my life, uh, a lot of evidence for it. The uh, chairman of my department of psychiatry, who was a very prominent psychiatrist, as a matter of fact, he was, uh, like myself, a Catholic, and he was uh, past president of the American Psychiatric Association. And he wrote the preface to my book, and he said, I probably have seen more of these cases than any psychiatrist in history, because I get calls from all over the world um, now that we have Zoom and telephone and stuff like that. I can't see everybody, but I've just seen so, you know, I've just seen so many of these uh, cases, uh, Jason and David, that um, convinced me that these things are real. Wow. I, I know, uh, I think after the Exorcist movie came out, that, that it went way up with, with people thinking of the oh gosh i'm possessed i'm possessed and i think that that made made the cases rise up a lot too wouldn't you think so well i i go ahead i'm sorry no i'm i'm asking you would you do you think uh that that could have had something to do with it well i think what it raised is uh false cases yeah uh so when when i was when i was at Cornell, um, after my residency, I actually studied uh, memory. And we studied people with true memories and false memories. And there's no question that some people have false memories about things like um, satanic abuse and that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. But, but uh, again, I, I've, I've met a few people. Uh, these are rare, but I've met a few people who do get possessed and who maybe were Satanists. Um, I write about in my in my book a woman, and I always use uh, pseudonyms. I write about a woman called Julia. Uh, people can Google the possession of Julia, and you'll see that there's a whole slew of articles on the internet about her because she was the real deal. Um, so there are these rare cases, um, and there always have been. Um, there was a famous German professor who about a hundred years ago wrote a book about possessions all over the world uh, and all throughout history, um, especially in pagan areas and uh, certain superstitious areas of the world or areas where there are dark practices still. But um, there are, uh, some people say to me, uh, well, how come these only happen to fundamentalist Christians? Uh, and there's nothing could be further from the truth. I mean, these things have happened in all cultures uh, throughout history. Possessions have been reported since the dawn of history, and uh, you know, in the Babylonian world, and uh, all over, all over uh, Asia. My my book, Demonic Foes, was recently translated into Japanese. Now there aren't a lot of Christians in Japan, but they're they're very convinced. Uh, things like evil spirits 
So when people say to me, guys, uh, how does it feel to be out of the mainstream? I say to them, what, what mainstream are you talking about? I mean, most people in America believe in evil spirits. Mm-hmm. Most people in the world today believe in evil spirits. I, I know there are skeptics, but I'm saying most people do believe in this stuff. Yep. And most people throughout history have believed in evil spirits. Now, they may have they may have different belief systems about it, but uh, certainly people have known from the dawn of history that evil spirits can exist. And in rare cases, I, I do want to emphasize that it's rare people can get possessed. So um, on that first case that you, uh, that you was, uh, you know, uh, when, when he came and asked you about that, um, did you go in and, and, and assess, assess that person? Yeah, she, she had come from about 2,000 miles away to uh, our area. And uh, what she was claiming was that um, she was beaten up by spirits. And her husband verified that. I had to make sure that her husband wasn't beating her up, right? Right. But uh, he was a salt-of-the-earth type of guy. They were very honest guy people. And she claimed that she'd be lying in her bed and even some of her relatives and friends would see her all of a sudden having uh, black and blue marks and, and seemingly being beaten up by spirits. Um, as a doctor, I, I certainly had to make sure that she didn't suffer from some bleeding disorder or something like that. So we, we checked her platelet. She was perfectly fine physically, but she had these bruises all over her body and Eventually, I had to say to the priest, which is my job, there doesn't seem to be any medical or psychological reason why she's given this dramatic history and showing all these bruises. And the priest, who, again, had said to me, Dr. Gallagher, you know, you're a skeptical guy, so you're a good guy for the job. Uh, he said, yes, that's what I believe. He said, this is a demon- this was not a possession. This was a demonic oppression. Uh, the difference is uh, a possession is when the demon actually controls, not you might say not the soul of the person, but the the body and the conscious, and and can can submerge the consciousness of a person. That was that was the Satanist Julia I write about. But this woman was had what 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 most people around the world people use different terminology, but what most of us in America call an oppression. In other words, she was getting attacked by a spirit, although the spirit could never could never really take control of her. So, um, when when you started getting into this, um, this is something that that I you know I've been thinking about for the last week or so. Um, when you first started doing this, because you said that you know you are a, a you know a Catholic, but you are also skeptical which I, I think that that's, you know, the best thing to always be anyway is, is, you know, there's a healthy skepticism. There's some people who are just way too skeptic, but um, they, they would be skeptical if they actually walked across the room and then they'd turn around, did I just walk across that room? You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, but there is a healthy skepticism. Um, but what was it that kind of started breaking that skepticism for you that, that made you go, well, you know, 
it looks like uh, there really is this thing called a possession or even, you know, like you said, oppressions and, and things like that. Well, the simple answer is that they're just these phenomena exist. Uh, now, this, this is, you know, I'm committed to science. Yes. Um, I don't know if there are fundamentalists in your audience. Um, I, oh, yeah. I do believe in evolution. I do believe in the Big Bang Theory and all that. Uh, I believe in science. As a doctor, of course, I have to. You know, I'm a physician first, yeah. even before I'm a psychiatrist. So um, we use the scientific method, and the scientific method to a lot of people means doing experiments and uh, being able to replicate findings. Yes. Uh, there's a technical philosophical term, methodological naturalism. And what that basically means is that we assume that um, the causes of a lot of things can be uh, discerned through the scientific method. But... The evidence for religious phenomena, something like miracles, for instance, as well as demonic phenomena, is historical, and that can be argued, too. Uh, In other words, is there enough evidence to convince a reasonable person? I think I'm a pretty reasonable person. And just because something is historical like a story of Washington crossing the Delaware or something. Of course, it doesn't mean it's outside the view of science. It just means it's a different type of knowledge than science. So what I've uh, witnessed so many of these cases, including of possessions, that it just uh, beggars the imagination to think there's any other explanation. You know, I've I've evaluated probably 25,000 psychiatric cases in my life. Now, psychiatric cases don't all of a sudden go into a trance, start speaking a foreign language like Latin. They don't have this enormous level of strength beyond human capacity. They don't have hidden knowledge, uh, and uh, they don't do something like levitate. I've never seen a levitation, but 35 people who have uh, either experienced the possession or witnessed the possession, these are good salt-of-the-earth people. They have no reason to to lie to me. Um, They tell me that they've observed, in these cases of possession, levitation. So I say to my psychiatric colleagues, well, how many psychiatric patients do you know who've levitated or speak perfect Latin all of a sudden without ever having studied it. So it, it is a field that requires evidence, and that's that's sometimes why they pull me into a case. In America, at least in the Catholic Church, the bishops would usually require a psychiatric evaluation because there are people who uh, either imagine their possession. I think your question before about the hoopla from The Exorcist. The Exorcist was based on a true case. It was a little sensationalized, but um, it probably did plant in the mind of a certain amount of people that, well, I have a psychiatric problem. Maybe I'm possessed or something. I'm hearing the voices of the devil. Maybe that, maybe that's possession, when in fact it's just something like psychosis or dissociation or, or maybe just an overactive imagination. So uh, I'm asked to 
Uh, again, I'm not an exorcist, so I'm asked to observe the case, evaluate the case, uh, help the exorcist decide if this could have a medical or psychiatric explanation. And in in these traumatic cases, uh, yes, they have an explanation that is best explainable uh, by uh, the syndrome of uh, possession. I, I call it a syndrome because in, in medicine, what we do is we take a bunch of symptoms and we put them together and we say, well, this makes up the diagnosis. That, that's not different from what we do in possession. You take a bunch of signs like, uh, like the person going into a trance, hating the sacred, being able to reveal secret information that they would have no way of knowing. Sometimes something as dramatic as uh, enormous strength or um, levitation or something. There's usually an explanation in their history why they that happened. You never take one of these features, but what you do is you take the combination of features and that represents a syndrome too. And, and the best explanation for some of these people unquestionably, in my opinion, is a possession. What you have to really see is you have to see evidence of a foreign entity controlling the person. I mean, that's the essence of a, of a possession. So, and again, I've seen, I've seen a number of these cases. I don't mean that they're common. I don't mean that the average person who is a decent person should uh, expect that it would happen to them, but uh, it, can, it can happen to people, especially people who, as the lingo goes, have opened a door, have fooled around with the occult, have done something very, very evil or very sinful in their life. And, and those, those people can be subject to demonic attacks. Right. So is that what happened? I know you, you said something about uh, that the exorcist was a true story. Is, uh, well, it was, based, it was based on a true or, story. Yeah, based on a true story. But I mean, it, it was fiction. I mean, it was the, 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 the character in the movie was a character named Reagan that was in the novel and then the movie. And the novelist actually wrote the screenplay, won, won the Academy Award for the screenplay, by the way. It was thought to be a very uh, effective movie, yeah, but he based it on a twelve-year-old uh, boy in uh, from Maryland, right. and that boy was, in my opinion, that boy had fooled around with spiritualism and Ouija boards, that sort of thing. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. What, what he was doing was he was trying to contact his aunt who had died. His aunt was a spiritualist, meaning a person who was thinking that they were in communication with dead souls. And he continued that sort of practice. He tried to contact her. And uh, I'm sure it was a little more complicated than just that. I obviously never evaluated the boy. But um, that was part of why he became possessed. And he was eventually, uh, after a few exorcisms, uh, um, the exorcisms were in St. Louis, he was eventually delivered. Well, that's good. Well, I know I've I've watched um, plenty of movies and stuff, but if I'm not mistaken, one of them was uh, The Exorcism of Emily Rose. If I'm not mistaken, if that's that might be the one I'm thinking of, uh, but it's the one where the Catholic Church got put on trial um, because the girl died, 
and the, and that's why supposedly now they always ask for your type of services before they would ever do anything because they've got to prove that it's not mental illness. Well, that's another interesting uh, case. The movie, again, Emily Rose was a fictionalized version of a famous case in Germany. Uh, and again, a lot is known as a lot of no, a lot is known about that case. The, the kid who uh, was who was possessed in The Exorcist, by the way, he he recently died. Uh, nobody knew who it was for uh, a long time because the the church often keeps these things very discreet. But uh, the facts have been known for a long time about the German case, the girl upon which the um, Exorcism of Emily Rose was based. A lot of people don't really know the whole story. See, what happened is, I mean, she wasn't the healthiest person in the world, but um, I have spoken to people involved in that case because I go to uh, Europe every two years to the international meetings. And what they say is the following. They say, look, she refused to go to the hospital because she and her family uh, were convinced her major problem was um, a possession. So she didn't think the doctors were going to help her. Now, that really was an unwise strategy on the family's part, not the priest. The priest wanted her to go to a hospital too. But since they believed she was possessed, and I, I do believe she was possessed, as well as somewhat medically, had medical problems, but she also did things like fast and, you know, refrain from eating food and drinking. And eventually it's believed that that was a major contributing factor to why she died. And they held the priest responsible because they felt the priest should have forced her to go to a doctor. Uh, and the priest said, well, she refused, the family refused. Um, I think they were wrong. In other words, I think they should have forced somebody to go. Uh, they should have forced Annalise to go to the doctor. I had a case similar to that where I was talking to a guy who wasn't eating, and uh, he he had a he had a demonic attack. It wasn't a possession, but he claimed that he thought God was telling him to fast and not to eat. And I said, "Look, sir, you know, with all due respect, you're going to die." And he said, well, if I die, it's because God is telling me not to eat. I said, well, I, I, I'm going to tell you, sir, uh, I'm not going to let you do that. I'm going to put you in the hospital. He said, you can't do that. I said, yes, if I, as a doctor, if I think you're unintentionally trying to kill yourself, uh, I can put you in a hospital um, or intentionally as well. So uh, we put him in a hospital. We put him on an IV. And we saved that guy's life. And later he got spiritual help. But I, I think the case in Germany that you're referring to, upon which, again, Emily Rose's story was based, was similar. The The young woman, I think she was in her early 20s, and the family refused to go to a doctor. And then the priest got in trouble. They, they didn't actually They didn't actually go to jail. They were put on probation. But in Germany, which tends to be a little skeptical as a country now, um, it did it did discredit exorcisms for a long time. But exorcisms vary from country to country. In other words, 
in Italy, there are literally hundreds of exorcists. When I started out in this country, there were very few. That's one of the reasons I got to know so much, because I, I knew two exorcists who had been involved in the Julia case, and um, I saw a lot of cases. But it varies from country to country. Uh, certainly the American bishops are cautious enough that for a long time now they've required a medical evaluation. Yeah, it, it makes sense to me. I mean, um, there's a. I think that you as a physician could probably even tell <laughs> tell us, but I'm sure that there's quite a few other things out there that would, uh, you know, make someone think that they were possessed or, or anything like that, you know, so... I think that would... No, I mean, absolutely. Uh, you know, certain people with uh, certain types of epilepsy uh, and certainly psychiatric patients who are schizophrenic or have what, uh, what we used to call multiple personality, these people, or just someone with a very active imagination, all these people may think they're possessed and aren't. So it is, it is important to rule it out, which, which can be done. I mean, you have to know the whole story. You have to take the totality of the picture uh, because there's never one feature that proves it. But when you get a, uh, a history of somebody, say, uh, fooling around with occultism, maybe even worshiping Satan the way Julia did. Julia was a outright Satanist who, who worshiped the devil. Uh, when you get that and then you get all these dramatic features, again, Julia had all these kinds of psychic abilities that were simply um, impossible for the average person to have. And she herself knew she was possessed, and that's why she had those powers. Yeah, I, I was uh, watching uh, one of the shows that you've done before, and you kind of talked about that a little bit. Like, It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. You had two cats that fought that you had to separate, and then when she came in to to visit you or, or to have a session or something. And she a- asked you about how the cats were doing. Yeah. If you want to hear that story, it was kind of the most dramatic one. That's the, that's the one that Hollywood wants to make a movie out of. And, um, <clears throat> this was, this was a woman who was a devil worshiper. She called herself the high priest priestess or queen of a cult. And, uh, she literally worshiped Satan. But she also knew that she was possessed. She was she was not a highly educated, but she was a thoughtful person. So she had gone to the guy in the in the book I call uh, Father Jacques. All these names are synonyms, but every other fact is true. She went to Father Jacques and um, she said, "I know I'm possessed. Will you do an exorcism?" And Father Jacques basically said to her, "Well, you seem ambivalent about reforming your life." I do want you to speak to this psychiatrist who works with me. And that was me. But I had never met her. Uh, when one night we had two cats at the uh, foot of our bed and all of a sudden these cats went berserk. They just started scratching each other like, like two prize fighters. 
and uh, I thought they were going to try to kill each other, which was very uncharacteristic. So my wife and I, we had to separate them, put them in separate rooms. <laughs> I didn't think too much about it. I thought somehow maybe they ate something bad or something. Had too much catnip, who knows? <laughs> and, th- and then the next morning, doing something that was somewhat annoying to me, this priest, um, who had been the one who came to my office at Cornell, this priest brings this woman I called Julia to the door. This is the first time I met, met her. And I said to the priest later, please do not bring a Satanist to my neighborhood. <laughs> uh, so they knock on the door. Father Jacques says to me, I'd like to introduce you to Julia. I knew he, I knew he wanted me to talk to her, but I, I had no idea he was going to bring her to my house. Uh, and he said he was kind of desperate to get things moving. <clears throat> and the first thing out of Julia's mouth is she said with a smirk, uh, well, Dr. Gallagher, how did you like those cats last night? First thing out of her mouth. Mm. So she had known it. She had, you know, presumably sort of something to do with it, even though that sounds phantasmagorical. I later told her, look, you better you better not have something like that happen again to me or I'm not going to see you. And she knew she had to see me to get the exorcisms that she wanted. The main reason... The priest wanted me to see her was that she was highly ambivalent about the exorcisms, even though she requested them. And she was also reluctant to leave the cult. I mean, for one thing, she claimed to be in touch with a cult leader uh, who was truly a kind of nefarious guy. Number two, um, she was afraid that the cult would harm her if she tried to leave the cult. So she was doing this a little bit secretly. Um, but she generally was ambivalent about getting an exorcism. I remember she said to me, um, Dr. Gallagher, you have no idea what Satan gives to me. I have, I have certain psychic abilities. Um, and I love it, and I feel like Satan will take care of me. This God you believe in, I don't know, I don't know, he's never done anything for me. And I I tried to convince her that she could not continue to worship Satan and expect that Satan was going to do her favors, which is uh, literally what we call a Faustian bargain, right? Mm -hmm. And, um, but she never, she never fully... Um, bought into that. Even though she treated me very respectfully, always told me she would tell me the truth and was very grateful to me. In fact, she said to me, Dr. Gallagher, I know you're a professor. If you want to write about me or something like that, you can do it. Just disguise my identity. So it was a pretty remarkable case that I I had this chance to talk to a Satanist, a genuine rare Satanist, as well as uh, witness a case that was described by the exorcists themselves as the most dramatic case they had ever seen. And these were very experienced guys. And then in the course of our work together, she, I mean, I saw some pretty remarkable things. Um, should I go into that? Sure. <laughs> Don't give too much away because we want people to buy the book for sure. 
well, I'm not a materialistic person. I think if people feel like they're interested in the book, buy it. Uh, but, uh, you know, that's, that's okay. I tell, I tell these stories whenever, when anybody asks me. Yeah. Um, so, uh, we were driving in the car once and, um, The priest and I, the priest was driving. I was in the front seat with him, and Julia was in the back. And now this is the first time I saw her go into a trance. And all of a sudden, there was this kind of guttural voice coming out of her. Now, again, it doesn't sound like sort of disembodied or ghost-like. It is controlling the body of the person, not the soul. So it is... It is using the vocal cords of the individual. So, but it was it was a little more guttural and certainly a lot more nasty. And it basically was was addressing the priest who was driving. And it said, "I won't try to imitate it, but it was something like, we told you to leave, you effing priest, you monkey priest. You're going to be sorry.'" Wow. And um, this went on for about five minutes. And then she came out of the trance, and she had no remembrance of that happening. I remember her saying to me, um, I thought we were in the city. Where are we now? What happened? And and we told her what happened, and she she knew what was happening. Even more remarkably than that, um, she claimed to me that even outside of her trances, a lot of times you see remarkable things. I've seen many exorcisms in my life as an observer, not as an exorcist. Um, you'll you'll see you'll see some pretty dramatic things during exorcism sometimes. Um, but Julia, as a Satanist, had psychic abilities, um, as as the paranormal people call it, uh, outside of her trances. Um, now she herself had no, had no doubt why she had this. She said, sometimes people think I'm gifted. I'm not gifted. People with this stuff are getting it from somewhere. Maybe they're getting it from God. Maybe they're getting it from Satan. I'm getting it from Satan. And I said, well, what do you mean? And she said to me, well, I can see people at a distance sometimes. She was using this kind of occult uh, terminology. She said, I can see people at a distance sometimes when I want with my third eye. Of course, there is no scientific third eye. It's a, it's an occult term. Mm-hmm. And she told me about a couple of cases where she was doing this, and I wasn't sure whether I believed her or not. I do try to remain somewhat of a skeptic. But one day she told me, um, uh, I was talking to her uh, directly, and she said, well, I can see the exorcist who was who was the second guy. He called himself Father A, and uh, Father A was. Uh, I used to play a little basketball in Europe. I'm six five. This guy made me look small. He was like a six seven. Looked like a linebacker. Was an ex marine, and he was probably the most experienced exorcist, in my opinion, this country has ever had. And uh, she she knew that this was the guy who was going to do the exorcism. 
So she said, well, I can see Father A from a distance. Now, I know where Father A lived. He was 100 miles away. So by this point, I had a, a, enough of a relationship with her that I could kid around a little bit. And I said, okay, okay, Miss Smarty Pants, uh, tell me what he's doing right now. And she said, uh, I see him. He's walking along the beach. And he's saying his mumbo jumbo prayers. That was that was her term for for the Christian prayers that priests are supposed to say every day. And I said, "What is he wearing?" And um, she said, "He's he's wearing a, a blue windbreaker and khaki pants. The khaki pants for when he was in the military." And so I said, "Okay, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to call him up." Now, again, he was 100 miles away. Um, so I called him up. He answered his phone. He answered his cell phone. And he said to me, um, well, I said to him, I said, how, how are you doing, Father? And he said, good. And I said, what are you doing at the moment? And he said, well, I'm saying my breviary. Breviary is the daily prayers of a priest. And he said, usually I'd be at the rectory, but I decided I'd take a drive and go to the beach and say my prayers walking along the beach. And I said, and what are you wearing? <laughs> and he said to me, <laughs> excuse me, he said to me, who wants to know? <laughs> I said, I said, you were me, Father, just what are you wearing? He says, well, I have a windbreaker on and I have my, my, my khaki pants. And I said, what, what color is the windbreaker? And he said, oh, Rich, Rich, I, I we have become friends by this point. He's deceased. I'm, he's deceased at that at this point. I'm sure he's met his reward. And uh, he uh, he said, "Oh, Rich, I know what's going on. You're talking to Julia, right? And she's uh, describing me. She is something else. That woman, right? <laughs> and I certainly had to agree. She she was something else. Um." So uh, she had what was called remote viewing. That's, that's again, that's a kind of parapsychological term. Mm -hmm. You got to remember parapsychology or the word paranormal, these are modern terms. They're terms from what people throughout history have always thought was some kind of spiritual or demonic phenomena. And then in the modern times, people realize this stuff happens, but they're not necessarily... Uh, spiritual to believe that it's from God or from the demons, so they kind of use this pseudoscientific term, the paranormal, which actually explains nothing. Uh, but anyway, she had all kinds of these paranormal abilities. She could. She once told me how my mother died. She told me how a lot of other people died. She, she knew all kinds of hidden knowledge. Um, one of the more remarkable things that I experienced directly is um, the the priest that called me, he wanted me to go to her exorcisms, to one of her exorcisms at least. And you know, I was a family guy, a uh, um, very busy uh, psychiatrist and professor, as I still am. And um, I had to tell him I I couldn't go, I couldn't attend the exorcism. And um, while we were talking on the phone, that same type of voice that I heard in the car 
came in over the, over the phone line. Now, we, we knew exactly where she was. She was home like uh, a thousand miles away. Now, this was a landline. She was not in on that phone conversation, but that same voice came in on the phone and said, <clears throat> again, addressing the priest, not me, said, oh, we told you to uh, leave her alone, you effing, you effing uh, idiot. Uh, you are going to regret this. And I was taken aback. Um, it's the only time in my life where I literally experienced the phenomena of, you've heard, the hair on the back of your neck. <laughs> the hair <laughs> on the back of my neck went up. And I said to the priest, um, wow, that's creepy. Did you hear that? And with a certain aplomb, he said to me, uh, yeah, Rich, in these, very hor- in these very horrible cases, this sort of thing can happen. So that's another uh, true experience I had with her. And, of course, it all convinced me more and more that this was far beyond uh, uh, even the normal possession. Uh, She went on to have some exorcisms. The last one was incredibly uh, dramatic, uh, which is why I highlighted in the book. Um, The... um, there were about eight people attended, including uh, a couple of women, a couple of nurses, uh, and uh, a few very strong men to hold her down, as well as the two priests. And uh, I interviewed them afterwards. They they all told me that she levitated. Mm. And for about a half an hour, she rose from the chair in which she was sitting and being restrained uh, and was up in the air for about uh, 30 minutes. Uh, do I believe it? Uh, I don't think eight or ten people are going to lie to me about something like that. Right. But also during the exorcism, the room went cold for a while, then it went hot. Uh, Father A said to me, "It was like it was like being at the gates of hell." Um, she spoke all kinds of foreign languages for about two hours. Uh, she tried to escape. Again, uh, people have to be held. Because when the demon takes over, they will they will try to escape or even attack the priest. Uh, and again, if they've given permission, and in America they often sign a consent form, they can be uh, legally restrained because they've agreed to it. Um, unfortunately, the exorcism, not all exorcisms, are uh, wind up with results. Um you have to work at it. That, that That's what Hollywood gets wrong. They think it's sometimes just magic. It's not just magic. The person has to work at it, even though the prayers of the church are very, very helpful. But unfortunately, that was the last exorcism she had. I, I didn't attend, but I interviewed everybody who did. And um, later she told me, she said, Dr. Gallagher, you seem like a nice guy. I thank you for your help. I think she, I think she liked talking to a doctor, and she felt that I was uh, trying to help her, uh, which was pro bono. I never charged her anything. And um, so that's when she said, you know, if you want to write about this case or something, you can just disguise my identity. But I, she said, I can't, I can't continue this. I'm, I'm too afraid of the cult. I think the cult will harm me if I uh, continue. So it was a tragic case. Wow. But again, that's all a true story. I mean, there are some people who write about these things and they just make up things. Right. Uh, In my my book, Demonic Pose, I mean, 
I wouldn't have taken the trouble of writing the book. Uh, it's not like I really need the money or anything. Uh, I wouldn't. Have, I wouldn't have written this book if, unless everything in it was one hundred percent accurate. Now, have you ever, in all these cases that you've done, have you ever had anything that, like the voices that come out of your phone while you're having the conversation with the, with the priest and stuff? Have you ever had more things like that happen to you and you know personally, like that? Or was that- well, uh, again, I've I've observed um, I've observed odd things. Right. I mean, I remember talking to a guy who was possessed, and uh, I don't normally talk to the demons. I, I, it's not a wise idea. They lie anyway. So, um, I mean, I've had situations where I'm evaluating somebody. Not this guy. I was evaluating who claimed that he had five demons uh, or spirits, as he called them, that were um, possessing him. And he said one of them was Zeus. And uh, he said to me, do you want to speak to Zeus? And I said, no, thank you. Um, So I've had these certain amount of personal experiences. I also had a blessed medal that I, again, I was kind of testing this guy. And I tried. I, I asked him if I could put a, a blessed medal on his on his shoulder. And before I got the words out of my mouth, he grabbed the medal. He threw it across the room. And at this point, I believe he was in a possessed state, and then I was speaking to a demon. And I, I said, "Oh, you didn't like that, huh?" And what I think was a demonic voice said, "Oh no, it was fine." It shows how how crazy trying to have a conversation with a demon is, you know, it obviously wasn't fine because he took the metal and threw it across the room. Right. So I've had a few odd experiences. Um, but again, I've, I've, I've talked to so many people who have been possessed or observed other exorcisms that it's really those type of situations that are sometimes described to me or sometimes that I, that I uh, witness myself that, um, that are, are incredibly dramatic. One of the more interesting other evaluations I, I conducted with, um, there was a woman who was a housewife, and she had she had been in this kind of pathetic little cult with some of her friends as a, as a as a young woman, and she became possessed, uh, even though she had long renounced this, and. Um, what the what the the priest involved with her told me was that the demons were preventing her from hearing certain things. So she could hear most things, but if you spoke to her about spiritual things, they literally evil spirits could literally uh, block her hearing. So. They wanted me to evaluate her, and um, I remember talking to her. In fact, I remember talking to her with a colleague of mine, another psychiatrist. And um, if you said to her, I call her, again, a a pseudonym, but everything else is true uh, in the book. Uh, I call her in the book Catherine. And Catherine was basically a housewife, and uh, she actually tried tried to be as good a mother as she could be uh, while being possessed. And uh, because, again, it's not like people are 
manifesting 24-7. And I said, to, I said to Catherine, I said, what did you do this morning, Catherine? And she said, well, I took the, um, she lived in a kind of rural area. Uh, she said, I took the pickup truck and I filled up the truck. And I said to her, uh, and Catherine, did you go to church and did you pray? And she'd look at me quizzically because she couldn't understand what I was saying. Uh, that was the evil spirits blocking her hearing. Oh, wow. And so the psychiatrist, and, and they were blocking her hearing for a reason, because they didn't want her to get help or support. Now, if you couldn't talk to her about spiritual things, um, she would be discouraged about getting any help. That was the whole point of, of her hearing being blocked. So this psychiatrist I was with and I, we had a bright idea. Well, she can't hear us. Let's write, let's write some questions on a piece of paper. So on a piece of paper that I showed her, and again, she knew me at this point, you know, she called me Dr. Gallagher. Um, on a piece of paper that I showed her, I said, uh, when's the last time you went to the store? Uh, she, so she read the piece of paper and she said, oh, I went to the market uh, yesterday. Uh, she was actually a good cook, and believe it or not, we, she would cook us a meal after the exorcism. <laughs> and uh, she said, well, uh, you know, I, I bought some potatoes and and beef. And then we wrote on the piece of paper, uh, is it still hard for you to pray? And uh, have you been able to uh, go to Mass? And she looked at me with a very quizzical, disappointed look. And she said to me, as I showed her this piece of paper, she said to me, Dr. Gallagher, why, why would you show me a blank piece of paper? Hmm. Wow. So re remarkably, the demons uh, who are very uh, sadistic and, and powerful entities in their own way, um, although not nearly as power, as powerful as we believe God is and, and our Lord, um, they, they had prevented her not only from hearing religious advice, but also, um, seeing it written down. Wow. And it was, again, an indication of her, they're attempting to discourage her to not be able to. To not be to be discouraged from praying and going to church and stuff. Wow, wow. I, um, so that's 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 the kind of experience that I have had with some people. That's that's just fantastic. Um, we have a, a caller. Um, if you don't mind taking a phone call, someone's got a question for you. Yeah, that's all right. I really can't comment on a case over the phone, but I can certainly answer a question. Right. I I think that's what. Yeah, I think. Okay. Hey, Sherry. Um, you have hello. A, hello. Hey. You have a, a question or, or want to talk to Dr. Gallagher? I do. Hi, Dr. Gallagher. I'm a nurse practitioner, and I've been working in psych for a long time. So I have a question. Um, how much, do you ever have anyone that comes into your private practice that you wonder about? You know, it's going to surprise you. Uh, 
it, it's nice to uh, hear from a, a nurse practitioner that's uh, interested in this stuff. Uh, there are nurse practitioners I know who get involved in helping evaluation. Interestingly, uh, I I have been a very very experienced psychiatrist. Uh, I've probably seen about twenty five thousand cases in my life, and um, uh-huh. these people are not. No, nobody has walked into my office and and, and do I diagnose them as possessed. Uh, it's rare enough that the people who I see that are possessed are either people that are um, sent to me by clergy of all different faiths, by the way, not just Catholic, or people who have learned of my you know, expertise in this field. So they have found me on their own, but they already suspect that they have a a demonic attack of some sort. So these are not, all these people I talk about, these are not patients of mine. I, have, I haven't just right. been surprised, I haven't just been surprised by coming into my office a patient and I surprised them by saying, oh, by the way, sir, you're possessed. <laughs> you know, that, that, right. that, hasn't, that hasn't tended to happen. Uh, that doesn't mean I haven't seen a lot of cases, but it means that these cases have not been in my typical um, practice, both as both as a private practitioner, as also uh, I've worked for many years for hospitals, and uh, I was actually the county uh, county of Westchester crisis director for many years. Mm-hmm. I'm just curious because um, I can think of two patients because I've worked psych for years, and I can think of a couple of patients who were so violent that. And, you know, nothing that we did really helped. And I just really have to wonder about them. But, you know, like, I don't have people that come into my office during the week that I would think would be possessed. But just those two that I'm thinking about from the past. Yeah, there, there may have been some of these cases, you know, uh, that give one pause and that you wonder about. But you'd have to have a lot more evidence than just violence. I, I write in the book that... Um, I don't regard evil people themselves like sociopaths, as we would call them in our field, right? Uh, or antisocial people. I don't regard them as possessed. Now, they may have some kind of evil side to them, um, but that, that doesn't that doesn't necessarily mean they're possessed. For, to be possessed, you have to have this more dramatic evidence. And again, I try to use the evidence just as you and I diagnose people using very strict criteria by myself and certainly most mm-hmm. sensible exorcists, they're, they're going to have to see definite signs that there's a foreign spirit involved, not just that the person is evil or violent. Okay. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you for your question. Thank you, Sherry. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. That's a good question. That was, yeah. And from a, from somebody that's... Uh, you know, yeah. Uh, I was going to ask practice. you, Doctor uh, Gallagher, when you wrote your book, um, or I guess when you started helping, helping with uh, diagnosing these people for the church, what did your colleagues think about it? I mean, did they say, "Oh, no, 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 no," or was it just like? Do, do they agree with you or? Well, let me give you a couple of answers. The, the, the first answer is I don't really care what they think. Uh, <laughs> I was just wondering their reaction. The, 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 the second answer is, I mean, being respectful about it. Um, you know, people in America, uh, thank goodness, people in America are pretty tolerant especially in the areas of spirituality or religion. So it's not like, it's not like anybody has condemned what I'm doing or anything. Um, I'm sure that, that some people just think what we're doing uh, doesn't make sense, but I understand that in one level, because again, if you're in the mental health field, like I'm sure Sherry, uh, we've all seen people who think they're possessed and they're not. And we all, we've all seen, for instance, schizophrenic patients who say, well, I'm hearing the voice of an evil spirit or an alien or uh, the FBI or something. So we know that that is uh, a brain disease, a legitimate brain disease. Uh, so it's natural that people in the mental health field are particularly skeptical. Because they, they see these cases and they say, well, all these cases must be people's misdescription of uh, the idea that they're possessed. And, you know, they're just they're just kind of psychotic or something. Um, so I understand why people in my field um, might be more skeptical even than the average person. Uh, but again, it takes all kinds. There's always going to be people who disagree with this stuff, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, I, I, you know, Sherry, Sherry was a good example of being someone of someone who was open to these ideas and she's in the mental health field. It's not like, it's not like I'm the only psychiatrist who does this sort of thing. I know people all over the world, good psychiatrists who believe exactly the way I do. It's just that I, I've tended to have a lot more experience and I've tended to be a little more um, willing to be public about my beliefs. Yeah, that, that would, um, I don't know. I think like you said, nowadays, you know, with all the shows, all the ghost shows that are out and all the, all the different things, um, you know, you've got 
all these possession movies that are out and everything, I think that it would be more mainstream to believe than not to believe, um, you know, that these things are real. Um, I don't know. I've, I've, um, I have a cousin of mine that is a psychiatrist. Um, he's got his master's degree in psychiatry and, um, he also was head over a, uh, uh, adoption agency and stuff, uh, where they kept kids and, and all that stuff until they could get adopted or, and stuff like that. And he, he told me about a story one time and he said, and he was, he's also a preacher. Um, but he told me a story about this one kid one time that he believes was possessed. And, um, he said that, um, the kid was kept in a semi trailer for most of his life. Um, his parents were druggies and they would just shoot him full of heroin and different things since he was a little bitty kid and shove him in the trailer and just feed him almost like a dog inside the trailer until they finally, you know, family, I guess, found him or whatever, and then they, they turned him in. And and uh, so this kid really, you know, have never has, was never had anything except for being in that trailer. And uh, he said that he was in the room with him, and um, he started acting up, and they, they told him to restrain him. So he said that he... He took and put his whole body weight on him and grabbed the side of the bed and was pulling himself down. And this little kid, he said, he said he couldn't have weighed 90 pounds soaking wet, just bench pressed him off of him. Like he wasn't nothing. Um, not only his weight, but he was also grabbing the side of the, of the hospital bed, pulling himself down on top. And he said that little kid just, just popped him off of him. Like he was a rag doll. And he says, he says, uh, his eyes seem to go dark and he says, if he wasn't possessed, then, then I, I don't know what possession is. Well, it's very possible. He saw one of these rare, rare cases that, that are real. I mean, it certainly sounds like, uh, obviously I can't, you know, as a responsible doctor, I can't pronounce upon somebody from afar right. uh, nor, nor do I know all the facts but uh, that, that's certainly a pretty credible story he may he may well have seen somebody who was possessed yeah that when he told me about that I was like wow <laughs> you know that's that's I don't know I, I, I don't know what and I, I don't know what the average person would actually do if they got into that kind of a situation you know um, probably run, I, I would think. <laughs> uh, probably what? Probably run. <laughs> uh, the average person, you know, getting into a situation where, where they was with somebody that was able to do, you know, these kind of, these kind of things. Well, again, that, that kid would need to be evaluated further. Um, uh, for instance, sometimes people who are, violent or psychiatrically disturbed seem to have enormous strength. We're talking about, and it may well have been demonstrated in the case you're talking about, uh, we really have to talk to, we really have to see something that's 
more or less humanly impossible. Uh, and that, that what you're describing may, may well have been. You, you have to see some clear evidence, as I saw before, that there truly is a foreign spirit involved, that this, this goes beyond the human. Um, the technical term uh, spiritually has always been preternatural. There's sort of supernatural things from God, and then there's preternatural things from evil spirits, meaning beyond the natural. You definitely have to see evidence for that. In that case, the kid may have been showing that. I just don't know. Right. Yeah, that, I don't know. That's um, that's something, you know, uh, like we was talking about before, um, when I was asking you, you know, has anything ever happened? The, the reason I, you know, to you personally, because, and I don't know if this is fed in from, again, you know, Hollywood and stuff like that, but I would think um, the devil, these demons would be trying to get into everyone's head. That's trying to help this person that they have possessed or, or oppressing. Um, and, and what I mean by that is that anyone that's in that line of trying to help them, they would be doing everything they can to stop that from happening. Like you was, like you were saying, you know, that, that woman couldn't see, your 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 handwritten notes to her or hear you you know what i mean like they would be doing everything they could to stop anything from happening no that, and that's that's what they do they do and and i think in this field who are trying to help can be targeted i mean i wouldn't do this field unless i felt i was a little protected you know i try to i certainly don't set myself up as uh, any kind of paragon but uh, I certainly, uh, you know, practice my faith, and I even ask people. In fact, I'm shameless in even asking your audience now. I ask people for prayers for my own protection and the protection of people close to me. So, um, yeah, you, you can't go into this field uh, without sort of keeping up your own spiritual practice. Right. I had um, something that happened to me once. And, um, Jason was going to get brought in on it, but it, it got put to a halt. I, I think it was a oppression situation, uh, kind of, um, now I talked to my cousin a little bit about this because, and you could probably tell me, but you know, as far as young kids are not usually, it's pretty, pretty rare for them to have. Um, things psychologically as far as um, schizophrenia and stuff like that, right? Usually? By and large, yeah. Yeah. And um, and so I had a neighbor, and they had a, a, a daughter. So they had th- two daughters and a, and a son. And um, my son and their son was really good friends. And they knew that I kind of, you know, did some did some stuff on the side and, you know, went ghost hunting and done all this stuff. So they asked me, they was having a problem with their daughter. And so she was seeing this spirit and this thing kept telling her to hurt her sister, um, in all these different ways. So, um, I asked the little girl to draw me a picture and it was a picture almost of a little girl with really black eyes. 
its mouth was open because she says it's screaming at her all the time. And it has like three rows of teeth on top and on bottom, almost like shark teeth, um, just really sharp teeth. And, um, and so I went over to the house to just see if I could see what was going on and, um, went into her room and, uh, I don't know if you believe in, in, in things themselves being able to be possessed and stuff, but she, she had a piece of furniture that they had gotten secondhand and I was getting a lot of feelings about the part about it. Plus our, uh, instruments was going crazy on, on it. And I asked them about it and, um, and so they was like, yeah, we got that secondhand. And you know what? This is started happening after we got that piece of furniture. So I was, I told them, I said, well, and, and maybe I made a little bit of a mistake, but I told it that I was not going to allow it to hurt the little girl anymore. And that I was going to come back and stop it. However, I had whatever I had to do to stop, you know, it from hurting this little girl or, or continuing to, you know, do what it was doing to this little girl. And, um, and so that night, um, well, I went to go talk to, to Jason about it cause we worked together at the time. So I set the paper up on my microwave, went to go get dressed for work, went to go get the paper that had this picture drawn on it and it was missing. And I started looking for it. It had got into the cabinets above it somehow. And it was just me and my wife there. My wife's like, I ain't touching that piece of paper. And, um, so I didn't think nothing of it. Talked to Jason about it. Cause we're supposed to go back the next day. And, and I was going to remove that piece of furniture out of the house and, uh, and see if things, you know, halted, stopped or whatever. And, uh, so I got home that night, went to bed, um, exactly three o'clock in the morning. Now we had, uh, in our house that was living at that time had, um, all the fire alarms and everything were wired into the house. So they weren't battery operated. And um, just the alarm outside of mine and my wife's bedroom started going off. I jumped up, opened up the bedroom door. As soon as I opened the bedroom door, it shut off. And I told it, I said, I did not tell you you could come to my house. You have to leave. And and it stopped. Um, but now those people would not allow us back into their house. Um, they stopped communications period because with us at all, I mean, um, and so that's what makes me think that it was some kind of an oppression. Um, but is that something that, that you would consider maybe as an oppression? Well, something was going on. Um, People break down these categories in different ways. I talked about what a possession is. Mm-hmm. Sort of a spirit controlling somebody. Uh, and there are these different kinds of oppressions where people either individually get attacked, uh, and it could be even through their senses uh, or physically the way, the way we talked about some cases. Demons, in my opinion, unquestionably also sometimes demonstrate themselves in what we call an infestation. 
and that's like a like a haunting or a um, attack on a place or a house, and there may have been features of that in the story you tell. Yeah, yeah, I I just felt something really bad, and and I felt that the reason it set off that alarm and all that stuff was it was trying to get to me, you know. Um, unfortunately, I guess for me, uh, things like that don't really scare me. Um, I think it's just because since, you know, at an early age, I've dealt with a whole bunch of stuff like this my whole life. So, um, so things like that don't frighten me. And I know what my power is, you know, what I, and, and I don't think it's my power. I think it's anyone's ability, you know what I mean? To, uh, to tell these things that they're not welcome and that they have to leave. And, um, and so, uh, but, you know, I, I just felt like it was trying to tell me that it wasn't going to let me back. <laughs> and that's what happened. Well, again, you know, it doesn't sound like you were physically attacked. No, but sir. It sounds like it was, but it sounds like it was a kind of, uh, again, I, I can't comment on a case from a distance, but it sounds like very possibly uh, this was a infestation and an attempt to intimidate and scare you. And it sounded like at least that part of it you handled pretty well. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, I've, I've um, grown up pretty spiritual, um, and um, and I believe that we – we all definitely have the the ability to do it. You just got to do it. You know, <laughs> some people are too afraid and, and, and I think demons, um, these kind of spirits will, uh, use those vulnerabilities against you if they can. Oh, absolutely. And they, their job is to confuse people. Their job is to intimidate people, scare people. I mean, you're basically talking of people who are, or creatures, let's call them, uh, who are sadistic, and um, I don't think I don't think uh, uh, our Lord, as my personal belief, I don't think our Lord allows him too much power, and of course he doesn't cause it, like like all the terrible things that happen in life. It's not. It's not God causing these things, but he does allow a certain amount of this. But ultimately, um, you know, our Lord is is far more powerful than these creatures. And uh, so if you you stick to the straight and narrow, um, I tell people, you don't really have much, much to worry about personally. Yeah, and that was another question. Like, so... You know, you'll get, and I'm sorry that I keep going to this, but it's prevalent in today's society, right? It's all, it's all in the movies. Um, and, and they say it's based on a true story. So that means it's 95%, right? Right. Um, <laughs> which we all know it's, it's probably maybe 5%, right? Um, but, um, you know, today's society tells us that, just be careful. Um, you watching a scary movie and you could be inviting these kind of things in. 
uh, what what is your take on on stuff like that? Yeah, I don't think that sort of thing causes it. It's, it's like the people who <clears throat> like the people who say, "Well, you should never read Harry Potter books." Um, you know, I have a nephew who's a very strong Christian intellectual, and uh, uh, he read all the Pot- Harry Potter books when he was a kid. Uh, I understand that some people can say, well, if you're reading about magic or you're playing around with magic, you got to be careful. And I, I think there is something to that. But again, I don't think we have to be extremist about it. Right. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right. <clears throat> I think, I think, uh, I think the same thing. You know, I, I think that, um, if something like that's coming in to your life, then it's something that you're inviting into your life, whether you mean to or not, it's something you're literally inviting in, in, you know, it's the people who wittingly or unwittingly are really inviting something dark, something evil, in some cases explicitly satanic in their life. Those are the people who tend to get the worst of these attacks. So, oh, go ahead, Jason. I was just going to ask, um, what is the main purpose of a possession? I mean, what are these demons... I know it's, is it to hurt the person they're possessing or what? Uh, I'm not getting it. Well, the the basic way to think about it is that they're cruel and sadistic uh, creatures and they, they, they want to, uh, presumably they're not too happy themselves (laughs) and misery loves company. They want to, torture and torment people. Uh, They also want to corrupt and confuse people. So they really would be most happy to corrupt human beings, to alienate them from God. Ultimately, though, I think they think we're kind of inferiors. Uh, When they they 
they call the priest the monkey priest. I think they literally see us as kind of these dumb animals uh, that they they have a perfect right to push around as their inferiors. Um, in one sense, what what I think they're really angry about, and there is a, a sadism and an anger there, what they're really angry about is uh, they're angry at God because they've, from their own free choice, really, mm-hmm. at least this is the teaching of the Christian faith, and I, I believe it, they have rebelled against God, and they have suffered certain penalties by doing so. And they're furious at God, they hate God. And so, <clears throat> you know, as we're taught, man is made in the image and likeness of God, and man can still seek eternal happiness with God. Um, so their way of attacking God is to attack us and try to, in some ways, enslave and corrupt us uh, and get us to join them. Um, it's a great cosmic battle, which can sound a little simplistic, but I think there's a lot of truth to that, that what we believe in evil spirits are uh, evil spirits are fallen angels. And, uh, they still have a lot of intelligence and power. They have some kind of life where they are. Uh, they've kind of chosen chosen to remove themselves from the happiness of of, of God in heaven, uh, and like like unhappy, sadistic people, they're trying to get their pleasure where they they want. I, I think they do what is sadism after all, but a type of pleasure in being cruel to other people, and and that's what they are. And I think they get some gratification over trying to confuse and lord it over human beings. Does that make sense to you? It does. It's, yeah. it's, it's perverse, but it's, you know, it's sort of like dealing with a, a sadist or a criminal. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. It does make sense. I, I, I sometimes call them cosmic terrorists, you know. <laughs> in the modern age, in the modern age, we've been more aware that some human beings can become so terrible that they can want to terrorize and kill even innocent people. Um, you know, blow up, blow up uh, the World Trade Center, mm. or cause horrible wars like in Ukraine. And um, the, these creatures are like that. They they pretty much are their children of destruction. And, um, yes, it's pretty gruesome when you think about it. Yeah, that's, I don't know. Um, I was going to ask you a question about, um, there's a movie called Fallen Down. It's a, it's an older movie. It's like in the nineties, but I, I don't know. For some reason I, I refer to this movie a lot when it, when it comes to certain things. Um, I don't know if you've seen it or not, but. Uh, the pre- the premise of the movie is is that this demon possesses a guy. He goes out and he murders people in a specific way. 
right? Every time he murders people in a specific way. Well, when that person gets caught finally and executed, put in prison, what, what, whatever it is, that demon goes back out, finds another host, and just starts it, starts doing it again. And, um, and you know, with that being said, do you think that some of these sadistic and, 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 and things that go on in this world uh, could be caused by something like that? Well, put it this way, people debate these things. Uh, I quoted C.S. Eliot, uh, Eliot, uh, C.S. Lewis before, and he said, we have to be careful that we don't ascribe all problems to the devil. Right. Uh, Human nature is is weak. Human nature can be um, twisted. And I, I do think people can become evil on their own, so to speak. There was a famous Christian thinker in the Middle Ages who used to say, 90% of evil and sinful behavior is caused by uh, our fallen human nature, 10% by the devil. Again, that was, that was just sort of an educated guess. We, we don't really know. Um, I think in some of the, the most horrible cases, even though I would not necessarily say these things, these people are possessed. I don't think all murderers are possessed. Uh, I think the movie that you're referring to, which I think I did see actually a long time ago, I don't remember too well. Uh, I think, I, I don't think things happen in that way. But and certainly there are evil people who, in some ways, are playing with the fire of devil worship or something. Um, I'll tell you a picture I just saw recently. Um, There was a woman I know who took her daughter to a prison. It was sort of one of these prisons that people can visit, almost like a tourist attraction. It's a famous prison out west. And she took a picture in the prison. She had a bad sense about the prison. And again, I'm not saying that prisons are automatically filled with evil spirits or something. But when she developed the picture and she showed me the picture, there was like a demonic looking hand on the head of her daughter. I mean, it was really, really creepy. And, uh, she said, well, what do you think of that, Dr. Gallagher? And I said, well, what do you think of that? And she said, I think that was some kind of evil spirit in the prison um, scaring me by showing that he could attack my daughter. And I said, I think you're right. I mean, it, it was a dramatic picture. Um, now, does that happen a lot? I don't think it happens a lot. Does it indicate that Criminals and terrorists and prisoners have often somehow given in, even just by being influenced, not necessarily possessed by evil spirits. I, I think that that's probably true. And it was a pretty gruesome piece of evidence, but trust me, guys, by this point in my life, I've seen so much evidence of this stuff. I don't, I don't need any more evidence to convince me that... <laughs> 
uh, all human beings are are subject to some kind of call it temptation, but um, most most people kind of resist this stuff, but some people don't, and then some people even consciously are not invited in. Yeah, I, I used to um, call them the whispers. You know, they're they're those ones that whisper the things in your ear. You know, hey, you should do this. You should do that. You know, a lot of people say it's the the good and the bad, you know, or whatever. But, you know. Oh, you're talking about the little devil on your shoulder. Yeah, I, I call them the whispers because I do think that almost on a daily basis, um, most people have um, things that they're tempted with, whatever it is. I mean, how small to how big it is is, is whatever, right? It's. It's whatever they can do that they think that they may be able to tempt you with. Um, maybe that's the door in um, or, or what, I don't know. But um, but I, I do believe that, that these these things tempt all the time. Well, again, uh, the, the, the technical term there, of course, is precisely temptation. It's another type of demonic influence. Uh, so we have, at the worst, possession. We have these oppressions. We also have temptation. And then we also have the fact that human beings themselves can probably even without prompting turn to evil. So it's, uh, again, it's a great mystery, but uh, that's the way Christian thinkers throughout the ages and other religions too. Uh, people of the Muslim faith uh, believe in most of most of what we've, we've talked about tonight too. They believe that People can be possessed and have to turn, in their case, to Allah as they as they as they as they understand God in their own way. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, the some of the Native Americans have uh, tales themselves of of beings that could possess you, um, and uh, and stuff like that, also, and and. Uh, you know, I, fi- I find it fascinating how you can find this from one corner of the earth to the other. Uh, however they describe it, um, it's all pretty much the same thing. Well, that was the conclusion. Uh, there was a very famous book about, um, well, it was a scholarly book. I'm not sure how famous it was, but it was influential in certain uh, religious circles. <clears throat> there was a German professor who uh, I think was originally in the 1920s. His name was Professor Osterreich. And he wrote a book on possession throughout history. And it's like like one of these 600-page books. And he gives examples all throughout human history and all throughout the world uh, today and, and in different cultures throughout all history of possessions and, and literally thousands of references. So even though I believe these possessions are rare um, and that people normally shouldn't go around fearing that it's going to happen to them, uh, it has been reported throughout history. Uh, it really gives the, um, uh, it, it really discredits the view that you'll sometimes hear, oh, only these um, crazy fundamentalist Christians in America believe in this stuff. That's absolutely not true. 
but he he gives this uh, survey of uh, possessions throughout history, and he concludes that the similarities between the different cultures are so striking that it has to be, you know, it has to be the same the same phenomena. Now, different cultures believe different things. So, in the Christian and uh, Muslim cultures, we believe that evil spirits are primarily involved and that evil spirits, the um, Muslims have a, uh, uh, a belief in what they call jinn, which is similar to the idea of a genie. Uh, they sometimes believe spirits, like, like angels and devils, that spirits can be good or bad. Uh, but whatever the cultural beliefs, uh, large parts of the world have always believed in evil spirits. I mentioned before that my book, Demonic Foes, was recently translated into Japanese. And in, in Eastern cultures, in Japan and China, people believe in evil spirits. Now, they may believe that some of those evil spirits are dead souls. Uh, there was a Jewish uh, folk belief for many years that there were wandering dead souls that were called dibbics, and they could possess people. Um I don't think, by and large, uh, dead souls, uh, which would have to be kind of evil dead souls, if you think about it, uh, are really going around possessing people. I think that demons often lie about it. I'll tell you a quick story. Um, how much time do we have left? Uh, 30 minutes. Uh, we have uh, 23 minutes. Okay, so I have time to tell uh, uh, an involved story here. Yes, sir. So the woman came to me. And she was a very, very sweet housewife, uh, took very good care of her family, a uh, really devout, devout Catholic woman. And she said, well, <clears throat> Dr. Gallagher, the uh, priest uh, sent me, they want, to, they want to, you know, evaluate me because um, angels are appearing to me and they're, they're telling me that I have a great mission. And I said, well, what do you mean they're appearing to you? She said, well, they, they talk to me. And I said, have you been evaluated by a doctor? And she said, yes, the doctor uh, that I saw before I was asked to see you was, didn't think I had any kind of psychiatric problem. I don't think I have any kind of psychiatric problem. And um, I even was willing to try medication for a, a little while. It didn't do any good. So I think I'm hearing some kind of voice or message, but I'm, I'm not crazy. And I said to her, well, you know, it seems to me that you're not crazy. Um, what do you think? Do you think angels are really appearing to you? And she said, um, quite frankly, no. She said, I don't, I don't understand where these messages are coming from. But I don't, I, you know, I'm just an ordinary person. I don't think angels have some great mission for me. And I said, well, that shows a lot of self-knowledge and humility on your part. Uh, keep praying about this and let's see what happens. So she came back to me a month or two later and she said, well, Dr. Gallagher, I think, I think you were kind of implying that 
these messages might change, and they have changed. They they don't say that they're angels anymore. I said, what do they say? He said, well, now they're telling me that they're dead souls. And I said, well, what do you think of that idea? She goes, well, I know I'm still getting messages, and I'm not crazy or anything, but I, I don't, you know, we as we as Catholics were taught not to really get involved with speaking to dead spirits and all that, that there are elements in the Bible that condemn that sort of thing, summoning or channeling spirits. And of course, that's what that's what spiritualists do try to do all the time. And she said, so I don't, I don't really believe that they are dead souls. Mm. So I said to her, well, keep, keep working with the, the priest who's giving you advice and try to intensify your spiritual life and keep praying about it and you know, let me know what happens. So finally she came back to me for the last time and she said, uh, Dr. Gallagher, I think you were telling me that this would probably change, and, and it has. And I said, so what kind of messages are you getting now? And she said to me point blank, she said, well, they finally admitted who they are. I said, who is that? And she said, they said they're evil spirits, and they were they were trying to trick me. Uh, and I said, do you believe that? She goes, yes. She said, I've always sort of suspected that was the case. And that was a wise woman. Again, we're not talking about somebody who was highly educated or anything. But she had the humili- humility to realize it's not like God had a special mission for her. Uh, it's not like she felt communicating <clears throat> with the Bible, summoning uh, that souls is a good idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, she realized that she was probably being fooled by those experiences. And she realized that what the demons were doing, they, they had been trying to pose as angels. Then they had been trying to pretend that they're dead souls, but they had to admit eventually that they were uh, evil spirits. And that and that's what happens in a lot of exorcisms. For instance, in an exorcism, the demons in the beginning, they'll lie. And they'll say, oh, um, I mentioned the example, I'm Zeus or I'm Apollo uh, or I'm Judas Iscariot or I'm Nero or I'm Uncle Harry. <laughs> uh, and eventually they're forced to admit that they're a demon. And they're forced to because they've wanted to hide themselves. It's funny because they're doing something paradoxical, right? They're manifesting and try to scare people, but they're also hiding their identity often at the same time. So they're both lying and trying to manifest. But eventually, and we believe sometimes from the exorcisms by the power of our Lord, they're forced to reveal who they really are, which they do reluctantly. And that's a good sign because what it indicates is not so much that there's anything magic about getting the name of the demon, but it's because they're being forced to submit to God's authority 
they're being forced to acknowledge that God is more powerful and God is forcing them to reveal who they are. And that's a good sign because often after that, it's sometimes when the person is liberated. But if you look at the history of beliefs in evil spirits throughout history, you will see that a lot of times, even the ancient Hebrew thinkers, as well as the early Christians, believed that some of the pagan beliefs in gods and goddesses were really a type of, of demon worship. And, um, you know, there were noble pagans throughout history, but it was intermingled with such superstition uh, that a lot of times these pagan cultures would worship these gods or goddesses who they themselves thought could be malicious at times. And what the early, the uh, later Hebrew thinkers, this is in what's called the intertestamentary period between the the end of the Old Testament before the beginning of the New Testament, um, they had kind of figured out that, that these gods and goddesses had been disguised demons. And there were other cultures that believed that uh, dead souls could appear and attack people. Um, the significance of this woman's story is that in her own experiences over the course of half a year or so, she had she had learned directly that the evil spirits were pretending to be angelic or divine figures. Um, then they were uh, pretending to be dead souls, but then they finally had to reveal themselves as evil spirits. So I think that's a very instructive and humbling theory for people to to understand correctly, because all throughout history they've tried to confuse people. And, and demons have tried to appear in many, many different ways in different cultures. Um, but yeah, as a Christian, I certainly believe they are essentially fallen angels who, for some god-awful reason, feel they have a right to attack human beings. Do you, with, with that story about, you know, that you just told and everything, do you think that there's other cases that could fall in that category but just have not been looked at any further, like the... Um, just for instance, like the uh, the Fatima is, you know, where, you know, these these kids say that that the Mother Mary herself came and 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 told them to write these things down and all that other stuff. Do you, do you think that stuff like that could also fall underneath that same category? Well, I think with things like apparitions of Mary in the Catholic tradition or apparitions of saints and stuff. And in, in what often happens in the Protestant traditions, which is uh, people claiming to be prophets, mm -hmm. uh, you have to, uh, to use the, the phrase, you have to discern the spirits. In other words, you have to recognize that some of these things could be authentic and uh, some of these things could be demonic tricks. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't, I don't tend to... Uh, comment on individual apparitions or prophecies, right. but I do I do point to people uh, to the story in the Bible where the uh, great prophet Elijah uh, is 
being challenged by 500 false prophets. And uh, the false prophets are asked to give a sign to the king, and there are 500 of them. That's a lot. Right. And and they show no power. And then Elijah, to prove the power of God, you know, brings down a fire on the on the sacrifice. Uh, and basically, the point of the story, which I think is an historical one, by the way, people are sometimes uh, confused about the Bible. It's a very complicated book, and there there are there are allegories and stuff like that in the book. But there's also a lot of a lot of history in the book. Certainly, when Saint Paul went to Corinth and talked about the resurrection, he presented that as history. In other words, he he said, "Look, you don't have to take my word for it. There, go talk to the 500 people who saw him. They're still alive." So there there are large elements of the Bible that are absolutely historically true. Then there's others like the seven days of creation, which are more um, sort of not always meant meant literally. But in the story of Elijah, uh, he was he was a good witness that the prophets are rare, and even I think apparitions and and prophecy in the in the modern churches, which is often emphasized in evangelical churches, that there are those figures, but there's also a lot of false figures. And a fair amount of that, and some of it just can be people's distorted imagination, but others, others, I think, probably are demonic. Yeah. I, I don't know. For me, you know, it's it'd be something that, that would, like you said, you'd have to just come to the fact of knowing what the end game of it was right so when it came to you and said i'm so and so i guess right away you you couldn't know unless you already knew the intention of it right if it was one way or another of of if it's you know actually a demon or an angel or or what yeah exactly I mean, you have to take the whole case, and you have to take each case individually. And sometimes it's very hard to sort out. I, I absolutely believe that there have been miracles in history, and I, I don't believe anybody had the ability to work miracles or or drive out demons the way Jesus did. I mean, that's one of the reasons I'm a Christian. Having said that, there have also been, you know, odd experiences that people only think are healings or miracles when they're not. Um, so you have to take each case individually. Don't get me wrong. I think there have been many successful exorcisms, many successful miraculous healings and other types of miracles in history. But you have to take each one separately because, um, again, it's it's it, it's the sort of thing that demons hate so much because they hate that there's actual evidence for God's existence and goodness that they try to confuse people in that area too. And sometimes create commotion or sort of fake miracles or fake feelings on their own. Yeah. 
Right. Uh, it's a, it's a complicated field, and and it helps in in my case to be a physician because a lot of times I can sort this stuff out. But there there are cases where uh, people people very intelligent, good people still have legitimate differences of opinion about them. Yeah. I I could see. I mean, I could see and understand um, where people can can differ on on certain things, um, especially in today's time. You you do have hardliners on both sides. One that believes completely one way, and and you could stomp on their toe, and they still wouldn't believe that that you did it. Um, you know, and then you've got the other side, right? That, that would be blaming you before you stomped on their toe. Um, so, I mean, <laughs> when it comes to, to things like that, I mean, I don't know it, you know, for someone like you in your field, um, to be able to do what you do, I, I think it's, it's pretty fascinating. It really is. Well, thank you for the compliment. And, you know, you're, you're pointing to a, a, a real phenomenon. And, and again, it's not like we have to know every single instance. In, in recent decades, there are a lot of people who have thought they've seen angels. And some of them probably have. And others have, I think, been fooled or maybe are just a little um, over-imaginative or whatever. So you have to take each case individually. There was a very famous um, saintly man. I'm sure you've heard of Ignatius Loyola. He's the um, great figure who founded the Jesuits. Mm -hmm. And he was a holy guy. And for years, he he described it as an orb, O-R-B. He said, there's this beautiful, he said to his followers, there's this beautiful orb that appears to me. And I feel like it's an angelic figure who supports what we're doing. And he's praying one day, and he's seeing this orb that he thought was sort of an angel. And all of a sudden, the angel turned to a demon. And he said to his followers, he said, it took me years to realize this was a demonic trick. Mm-hmm. And he had, the, he had the humility and the intelligence. He was a very intelligent guy. That even though he was fooled, he could admit that, look, I was probably wrong. This was not a real angel. So people have to go into this with, uh, again, a certain skepticism. Uh, but you're also right in emphasizing that some people are sort of skeptical. You know, they don't know they don't know what's up and what's down. You know, <laughs> right. they, 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 there are there are these uh, extreme materialists, and most people throughout history have not been strict materialists. Most people have believed in some kind of spiritual world or spirit world. Uh, but in modern times, there are there are some of these materialists. Not that there wasn't in ancient times too, but uh, there are more of these people nowadays. And one of the one of the reasons, I mean, the reason I got involved in this field was to help people. I mean, I'm a physician after all. That's what I do with my life. I try to help people. So that was the main reason I got involved in the first place. But I also got involved, and in I wrote my book, Demonic Foes, because not only did I want to enlighten people about the realities of this whole field, which is complicated, but also um, I think especially young people today, they're brought up in an environment where they, they don't understand that there are supernatural and what we call preternatural or diabolic realities. 
that these realities really do exist. And they, young people often are brought up without really hearing or thinking that there's good evidence for this stuff. And there is massive evidence for this stuff. Throughout history, there's been massive evidence that some people are attacked by evil spirits. Mm-hmm. Throughout history, and, and especially in the gospel, there's massive evidence in miracles, uh, exorcisms, and again, I'm, I'm talking as a Christian here. I'm not mm-hmm. suggesting everybody in your audience is going to believe me, but also in the resurrection. Um, St. Paul was right, I believe. I believe this is history that 500 people saw the risen Christ. I mean, that's why these people went out and preached it. That's why these people died for their faith. Right. I mean, it's often been said you don't die for a lie. Uh, nobody's going to give up their life if they think they're just making up these stories. So whether you believe the, the, the Christian story or not, people should recognize that, look, there is evidence out there. Everybody has to make up their minds for themselves, but at least be open to the evidence that there are these supernatural and demonic um, realities for which there is much more evidence than people think. Yes. That was another reason I wrote the book, obviously. Yeah, that's, I mean, yes, I'm right there with you. Yes. I I do believe that that other things definitely do exist uh, exist and and that they're out there. We got about two minutes. Um, I want to thank you for coming on and and giving us your time uh, to talk with us. Yes, yes. Thank you um, for your time. I've learned quite a bit. Yeah. Well, it it was a pleasure talking to two intelligent guys. We had a long time to talk about this complicated subject. So I appreciate the, uh, the invitation. I appreciate that we had a, uh, uh, extended amount of time to actually get into the nitty gritty of this stuff. Sometimes it's, you know, you have to summarize your argument in a few seconds, but you, you guys, you guys allow us to allow me to, uh, go on at length. And, uh, I appreciate the thoughtfulness of your uh, questions and invitation. Yes, sir. Thank, thank you. And and um, uh, where where can people find your book? Well, you can pretty you can get it at most bookstores. I think it's 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 um, published by Harper Collins, which allowed me to write the book I wanted, and it's certainly easy to get directly from Harper Collins. Or what most people do nowadays, of course, is it's it's very very uh, available on uh, on Amazon. Awesome. Yeah, and and I I can't wait till mine comes in, uh, so then that way I can uh, dig into it and and read it because um, you know this this conversation that we we just had tonight was was excellent and um, and I'm, I'm it just makes me want to want to dig into it more. Yeah. Well, if you want to invite me back, uh, even before the movie comes out, uh, invite me back, guys. You know, it was a pleasure talking to you. So yes. I, All right. I thank you for the invitation. Yes, hey, sir. And uh, thanks for what you do, too, because I'm sure it's not easy doing, you know, in the field you're in. 
Well, thank you. I'm enough of a Christian that all the glory goes to God. All right. All right. Thank you. And um, you have a good night, uh, Dr. Gallagher. And uh, again, thank, thank you. you. And and we will uh, take you up on that. We will ask you to come back and and uh, and do this again. Well, it'll be a pleasure to do so. You, you, guys, you two guys take care of yourselves. Yes, okay? sir. Bye-bye. Yes, sir. Thank you. All right, you was listening to Dr. Richard Gallagher talking about his uh, experiences in his book. All right, David. Yes, you, got, you over there? I'm here. Um, Are you excited? I am. I'll tell you that was really good. Um, it was interesting. It was. I want to thank everybody that was in the Podbean chat room too. That was that was uh, listening, uh, Sherry. Thank you. Thank you for calling in. Um, thank you for your questions. That was awesome. Um, I, I hope you enjoyed the show too. And, um, and I really did. I, I thought it was, I thought it was fascinating. Oh yeah. I uh, remember we got a book too. We do. You going to tell them about the Sher- book? Sherry's got the book. I know. Tell them about the gun line boss. <laughs> Uh, so we do have a book out. It's on Amazon. Um, you can search for East Tennessee hauntings and lore, right? Yes. It's a nice little coffee table book. It has all kinds of little stories. It has some personal stories and, and some stories about some lore and stuff on it too. So, um, and we're in the process of writing another one. This one's going to be a much bigger book. So, yeah. This one's going to be good. Amazon five-star <laughs> rated. We're Amazon five-star rated. Thanks, everybody, for, for doing that for us. Um, But um, we do have another guest coming up in two weeks, right? Two weeks, we do. We have. Miss Lori Hines. Miss Lori Hines is coming back on. She's going to probably do some readings and stuff again. Oh, yeah. Um. And uh, and everything, so we definitely look forward to Miss Lori Hines, and um, we definitely look forward to having Mister uh, Doctor Gallagher back on. Yes, again, I, I think that'll be a great another great show. Yeah, Lori's a psychic medium and author. And she's got uh, a new book about to come out. She's got four paranormal murder mysteries set throughout the southwestern United States including the Ancient Ones, the first series uh, set at Vulture City Ghost Town. I've heard a lot about that place. Yes. And the Triangle T Ranch near Tombstone and Caves of the Watchers. Yeah. It, she she got some nice books out. Um, We've got them all. They're all in our library. We have Visions of Time. We have it. Her fourth book was visions of time and it's published through written dreams publishing you can find all these on amazon right yep and she's also got a new children's book that's about to come out yes her first children's book yes it's titled earth and elementals adventure series that'll be that'll be something good yep so that's december the 3rd 8 p.m eastern time we're we're not going to have any big shows until then because of the holidays. 
Yeah, next week's the holidays. And hey, you know what? We want to tell everybody happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. And um, eat a lot of turkey. Get really sleepy. Take a nap. Wake up and eat some more turkey. Because I think I will. I, I'm definitely going to be smoking a turkey. I'm going to be smoking a cigar. <laughs> I'll be smoking a turkey. But um, again, thanks everybody for listening and uh, being part of the show. We can't do it without you. And uh, I want to thank all of our premium members, which Sherry is one. And I uh, want to thank all of y'all. Um, you you definitely make a mark and, and help us out. And uh, and y'all are all special to us. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Thank you. And I uh, want everybody to have a, a great and happy Thanksgiving. And um, you've been listening to Paranormal 411 with Jason and David. Yes. Everybody have a good night. Good night. We'll see you through the week. Yes, we'll do. We'll try to do some short shows. Thanks for listening to the show. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Paranormal 411. Join us on the website at Paranormal411.org. It's free to sign up and become a member. All of our upcoming shows are on the guest and events page. You can also listen to past shows on the website as well. And if you like the show and want to support us, you can do that by becoming a premium member for only $2 a month. Thanks for listening to Paranormal 411. Join us.